Good evening, church. Uh, it's great to be back with you again. Uh, we're going to start uh, a new name tonight. Uh, we'll probably have to do two parts of this one, probably. Uh, but I got a couple of announcements I want you to want to share with you, and then we'll pray, and then we'll get started. Uh, first off, we talked to you about this the other day uh, about Midcoast. Midcoast is in dire need of food. They can't get as much from the food bank as they had before, and so Cole will be here on Monday evenings. I mean Monday afternoon from one to two. Yep. And you can drop off your food. We also have had some folks that have uh, given us some, some money over and above their contribution to, uh, uh, to put towards that. So we're going to make sure that they get that as well. Uh, found out this afternoon, I guess it's com more common knowledge, that Mexico is in lockdown now. And, and Glenn has let us know that. And he has asked that we pray for Freddie and pray for the church in Mexico. So we'll do that this evening. Uh, and one more thing. Uh, you, many of you are asking about your contribution checks, and, and we're going to tell you that again. You can, uh, you can mail them to Pam. You can put them in the lockbox outside our office, uh, and, or you can bring them by the office and let her know. And guys, you guys are awesome. You guys did a great job this week. Uh, uh, the contribution was, was up where it needed to be. Uh, thank you so much for, for doing that. Uh, but it just proves, I think it proves, what we were talking about Friday night. This is a God-centered church. Absolutely. And they are completely committed to being God-centered, and that's part of being God-centered is to, is to give of your time and your money. So, Guys, we're going to pray, and then we'll get started. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the opportunity we have to be together tonight uh, to, uh, to share another portion of the Word with, with our family. Uh, we pray for, for them as we, as we talk to them and as we strive to teach them that they'll understand and they'll, they'll be able to grasp what we're trying to get, get across to them. Father, we also have a special prayer request. We pray for, for Freddie in, in Mexico. We pray for our brothers, our brethren there. Uh, they've gone on lockdown at, at, in there as well. And we just pray, Father, that you bless them, that you encourage them, that you lift them up, that you help them, Father, to be positive and, and to realize that you're in charge and you're in control and that, uh, that no matter what happens, uh, that you've got this in the palm of your hand. Bless us again, Father, tonight as we, as we move forward with this, with this study about, the names, about your names. And we pray, Father, your blessings upon us and upon this church as we move forward. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so, you know, I'm really looking forward to this one. And uh, <laughs> I'm looking forward to it because it touches on some of the most difficult concepts that we find in the Old Testament. And so that's why we want to do a two-parter. Um, we're going to see how this one goes, and, and I do think that we're going to end up in the two-part territory, but this is very fluid. Let's just kind of talk about it and see where it goes. Um, what's in a flag? Well, a flag is a, is a uh, you know, when you talk about our American flag, I mean, it's a, it represents, it's representative, and it's a standard, and it's a, uh, you know, people, you know, the stripes mean something, the stars mean something, the colors mean something. So uh, there's, a, there's a dialogue, really, that a, that a standard, that a flag teaches you. You know, the flag uh, that uh, I think that, that they have right there on the screen, uh, the, the raising of the flag at Iwo Jima, that was uh, hugely uh, beneficial to the American people back home and to the soldiers that were, that were fighting on that, on that island. Um, so I think it's a, it's a, uh, it's a standard. I believe, it, I believe it portrays a standard. Uh, you know, that, uh, that flag represents uh, a victory. That's right. It represents I, victory. You know, for, I, I would definitely say as a citizen of the United States, you know, and, and looking at our flag, I would definitely say it represents, you know, I see that flag, it represents victory, excellence, um, just uh, professionalism, 
you know, I, I would say that it, it represents um, love to a certain extent as well, of, of dedication to being above board. Um, now, I know a lot of times as citizens we fail in some of those things, and our government fails in some of those things sometimes. But when I see that flag, that's what it tells me. That's what it says to me. You know, to me it says that this is the free world. Now, I know that there, there are a lot of countries with freedom, and I understand that. And I understand that a lot of people feel very strongly about their countries and their flags, and, and they should. It's, it's important to have that type of pride, pride in a country that does well. And I, I think that's wonderful. I think it's wonderful that people can gather and rally around and come together via a flag. And in Scripture, it's interesting because we, we see this concept as well. And in Scripture, it'll, it'll refer to it sometimes as banner, mm -hmm. a banner. So we're talking about a banner Right? We're not talking about what we see on the internet page, that banner. Right? Yep. It's funny, when I, when I looked up the word banner in uh, Google, I love Google's definitions, uh, it, it told me a, uh, <laughs> a uh, oh gosh, I, I copied. Okay, so it says a, a long design or strip on a web page. Like, I, <laughs> that's the day and age we live in, right? Um, but a banner can also be, a banner in essence basically tells us something. It says something. It's relaying information to us. It's something to rally around. Um, a real popular one here in Texas is the uh, come and take it flag, mm -hmm. right? The, the star with yep. the cannon. And uh, that actually goes all the way back to the uh, 4th century BC mm -hmm. um, with the Spartans in their defiance against Persia as Persia was invading Greece, right? And so it goes back a long, long way. There's a huge history there. There's a huge message being sent when you raise that flag, right? Um, for us, the name we're going to be looking at tonight, specifically, it comes from Exodus chapter 17. We're going to, so we're going to start off in Exodus chapter 17, and we're going to be looking at verses 8 through 16. And I'm just, I'm just going to go ahead and read this section. Um, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Come, some of our men, uh, choose, excuse me, some of our men, and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekite, Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered, and make sure that Joshua hears it, because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek, Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner, or Yahweh Nisi. He said, Because hands were lifted up against the, the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. That story is interesting, I think, to, <laughs> yeah. say, to say the yeah. least. Um, yeah. The Old Testament has some really fascinating stories. And I think for a lot of people, when we read this story, we zero in on one thing. And at least for me, when I read this story, oftentimes I will kind of zero in on this. Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered. I will completely blot out the name of Amalek. And I think when we hear that, everything else kind of goes out the window. And it's a shame. 
because there's so much more here. Mm -hmm. It doesn't end there. However, personally, I don't think we do this text justice if we just ignore that section of it. Um, I think that's a tough passage there for our modern day minds to understand and comprehend. And I think it's really kind of necessary to understand this idea as the Lord as our banner. Mm -hmm. um, the reality is we've talked about it as a flag, right? Let's, let's talk about that and then we'll come back to that, that verse again. But we talked about it as a flag. Well, the flag is used to say something, to speak to something, but it's used by armies, by militaries, by nations at war. Mm -hmm. And the reality is God oftentimes represents a nation at war. He represents his kingdom, his hosts, his everything. And so God goes on the war and, go and marches to war oftentimes. And in fact, in this text, we see that very concept where God goes to war for his people and he comes out victorious. And so if we're going to look at this idea of banner, we have to look at this ugly aspect of it, which is, I think, war mm -hmm. and judgment, if mm -hmm. you will. Um, so really looking at this, I will completely blot out the name of Amalek. What do you think when you hear that? Well. He's, he's fixing, or at some point, going to destroy a people. He's going to completely wipe out this people from the face of the earth. He's done this before. It's not the first time. Uh, he, is, uh, he completely wiped out civilization in the flood. Right. I mean, so this is not a new concept. I know people have a tough time with this sometimes. But when you understand why God does what he does, or at least try to get some, some feel for why he does what he does, you know, Amalek and the Amalekites... We're gonna, we're, for their whole history with Israel was going to be a thorn, not even a thorn. It was going to be a sword in the side of, of, and of Israel. And their goal was to completely destroy Israel. They were, they were a warring people. And God said, I'm going to take care of them. I am going to fight them. These are my people, and I'm going to go to war. I mean, this is not a holy war. This is God's war. That's why it says Yahweh Nisi. I mean, it's a, you know, God is a conqueror. He is going to conquer these people. And, but we look at it and say, well, we want to go fight. And we want to be gone in three years. And we want it to be over. But God's war sometimes takes years, generations before, before he, you know, these Amalekites. It's going to take a long time. Not going to happen here. But, he, but I think something's interesting that, that we pass by. Some. He said, make sure that Joshua hears this. Mm -hmm. Well, because Moses, <laughs> down the road a few years, is not going to be around anymore. Joshua, and so God knows that he is not going to destroy this people in Moses' time. That's right. It's going to be much later on that he, that he destroys he them. He doesn't even really destroy them in, in Joshua's time. No, he doesn't. Um, let's, let's take a look real quick at, at some, of the, some more scripture here on the Amalekites. So one of the things I think we need to understand is God doesn't blot out a people lightly. Mm -hmm. I don't no. think, I, I don't, no. I, from my reading of scriptures, this isn't something he just jumps to this isn't something we go to we need to understand the context here so the the israelites have been led out of egypt right god faced down pharaoh mm -hmm. and he led the people out in a mighty way mm -hmm. and this is coming right after they grumbled for the water right that we had talked about mm -hmm. last time uh with rafa uh, yahweh rafa mm -hmm. and so now here we are and he we're facing this enemy and it's not really in this text it doesn't really explain it but here notice here in verse 16 where it'll say because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord. Mm -hmm. 
what the Amalekites were doing, they, I mean, they were going up against the very throne of God, his mm-hmm. very judgment, his very decisions, mm-hmm. and they were going up against that. And I want to I call our attention to a text in Deuteronomy 25. Deuteronomy 25, verse 17 through 19, it kind of explains this, this warfare that was going on. Because here in this text, it, it just says that they went up against them, right? Mm-hmm. These people, they, they kind of had this war, right? But in Deuteronomy 25, verse 17 through 19, we kind of see this deeper picture. And God is reminding them through Moses here. Remember what the Amal- uh, Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt, when you were weary and worn out. They met you on your journey and attacked all who were lagging behind. And then look at this. They had no fear of God. Now that's, that's a very interesting phrase. They had no fear of God. Why would they have a fear of God, do you think? Well, when they, when they come to the promised land uh, and, they, and they go into Jericho, uh, Rahab says, we have heard about you people and we've heard about your God and we're we are terrified. So they had no fear because I believe because of the arrogance that's in them. They don't believe in this God. They don't care about this God. They had no fear of him. And so, you know, here's a people and we're going to subjugate them. Or we're going to beat them. We're going to destroy them. And so we're coming up. And we don't care about your God. We have no idea. They have never come face to face with this God before, you know, on, on his terms. Uh, but, you know, as, as Yahweh Nisi you know, he is, he is going to conquer them, and he's going to do it in his own time, in his own way. And I think we need to really restate what that means, what it means, that, that his name is Yahweh Nisi. It's a, it is, does say, you know, my banner, but what does that mean exactly? It means that he is a, he's, vic, he's going to be victorious. He's going to be victorious. He is right. going to be victorious. Yeah. What it, and he said, I want you to make, a, I want you to make a, an altar, sacrifice to me, and, he, and, he, and it says, and in fact, the King James, when the King James says this verse over here, it says, uh, and it says, Moses built an altar and called it Yahweh Nisi, is what it says in the King James. Oh, wow. Here it says, the Lord is my banner, but it says Yahweh Nisi in that text. And, uh, and that's, uh, that, that means my God is victorious. My right. God is a conqueror. My God is above everybody else. And the Amalekites had no idea about that. And they didn't care. If they had cared, if they could have turned, God would have saved them. He's proved that through the whole book. Absolutely, he has. And, and you know, and it's interesting that you say that. So we, when we look at this story, we do have to look at it. We're taking little bits out of Exodus. And Exodus is such a huge book. Sure. I mean, talking 40 chapters here, right? So it's a huge section of text. We can't forget what's come before. And I find, I find it interesting. You brought up the, uh, the text out of Joshua in chapter 2 where the, the, the spies are hidden by Rahab. And she says, we've heard of you. Yeah. We've heard your coming. We've heard the things your God has done. Mm-hmm. And so out of, think about that for a second. Though. Out of all of Jericho, out of all the things they had heard, out of everything they had known that was coming, only one person thought to say, yeah. I'm with you. I'm with your God is the God mm-hmm. and I'm with him. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that is the intent here. He is looking for that victory. He's looking to conquer and he's looking to draw people to him. Here in, in Exodus earlier in the chapters, when we start talking about Pharaoh, uh, it's, it's very interesting. Uh, I'm going to highlight a couple of these. I'm, I'm going to move really quick here through the text. But uh, over and over and over again, we see God stating his intention with what he's about to do with 
Pharaoh, and it's not just leading the people out. Listen to this. In Exodus chapter 7, verses 3 and 5, specifically, uh, we'll start with verse 3. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply and uh, though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Down in verse 5 now. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Again, in, verse, uh, in chapter 11, verse 9, Pharaoh refused to listen to you so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. And again, in, in chapter 14, he says in verse uh, 4, but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all of his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am Lord. And then again, I, in 14, and, this, and the, there are a lot of these where he says this over and over and over again. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. It's important that we understand that God is always calling to the nation. You know, he's not just, he's not just conqueror or victorious with the Israelites alone. He's gathering all peoples, and he always has been working towards that direction. You know, and you mentioned the, we, we talked about these Amalekites, right? There is no way they didn't hear about what went down in Egypt. None. No. And I think that's really where we're seeing in, in, that, in Exodus 17, where we're seeing that phrase where they rose their hand against the very throne of God. They didn't care. You're right. They didn't care. They said, we don't know, and we don't care. They were, they were Pharaoh when, when in chapter 5, in Exodus chapter 5, when Moses goes to him and says, hey, look, you know, we're, we're here to take the people and go worship our God. And he goes, I don't know your God, and I don't care. Well, when you look at, at, the, at the phrase Yahweh Nisi, and you know that that means a banner or a conqueror or victorious, uh, and, and you look at the Amalekites who didn't care, we know Pharaoh didn't care. Yeah. He watched it. He watched it. He watched it annihilate his own people, and he didn't care. That's right. His own importance and his own powers was more important to him. That's right. You know, God's not changed. It's still the same today. And we'll look at that as we get farther along. But, but uh, you know, the, 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 you know and I, I don't know how, you know, the Amalekites, God said, I'm going to destroy them. It takes a long time. It does. It does. It takes a long time before he does that. Yeah, it, it really does. It really does. Um, and so if we look at these people group through, through Scripture, we see them constantly come up. Not only had they heard and seen the things that God did, they didn't care. And that's, complete, that's reiterated time and time and time and time again throughout Scripture. Before we leave it, though, I just want to say one more thing. We're talking about God's desire to redeem the nations, God's desire to be victorious and conquer and bring these nations to his banner, right? Um, in Genesis chapter 15, uh, we have God promising Abraham, hey, this is going to be yours. In verse 16 of chapter 15, he will say, In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, talking about the land in Canaan, right? Uh, they'll come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When we talk about God conquering, we have to look at it from two standpoints, right? There's the judgment. Mm -hmm. He is riding out to conquer and bringing judgment with him. But then there's also the deliverance. He's not just riding out to conquer. He's delivering somebody else. Mm -hmm. He's bringing somebody else in. And here in this text, we kind of get that sense. We get that sense of his judgment. The land isn't yours yet. The land is going to be yours, but it's not yours yet because their sin isn't complete. They're still, they haven't come to that point yet. I'm still working with them. We, we, we worship a God of second chances. 
We really do. Yep, and, we do. And the reality is, I, I hear time and time again people tell me, well, I don't understand the God in the Old Testament. I don't understand what he's doing. I don't, I don't understand. That's a different God. We worship a God in the New Testament, not the Old Testament. It's just not true. It's the same God. His heart has always been to redeem, to be victorious, to conquer, and to bring back. Mm-hmm. We just see a lot of the judgment side of it in the Old Testament. And so Genesis kind of lays out this idea that this, their sin is growing, or there's, there's going to come a point where the bill comes due. But we do see a lot of judgment in the Old Testament. Uh, and, and, and there's judgment not only against the people surrounding Israel, but there's judgment against Israel as well. Yeah, because, absolutely. you know, God's judgment only came when people would not do what he told them to do. When they thumbed their nose up at him. When they said, I know what you say, I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do anyway. And that, that's when God's judgment comes. God doesn't want to destroy people. People make God do, what, do that stuff. And, you know, Israel even, you know, they, they come to the promised land, don't go in because they're, because they're obstinate and arrogant and they're disobedient. They have no faith. And God kills 600,000 of them. 603,000 of them, to be precise. And, you know, when they come back the second time, 30-some-odd years later, they've remembered what happened. The children remember and say, oh, we're not going to make that mistake again. And I think part of God's judgment is, is to teach us, you know, hey, this is what can happen, but this is what will happen if you don't do this. There's judgment, but there's also reward and and when anytime you have punishment or judgment, you're going to have you're going to have the opposite side of that as well. Right, absolutely. Where you're going to have reward and sanctification with with judgment. Uh, you know uh, that 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 premise is. You know, people will say, "Well, God's judgment." Well, you know, there is also a wonderment side of God, and I think that's what Yahweh Nisi is about. Because for the people of Israel. For Moses and Joshua, Yahweh Nisi made conquer means I'm safe. Right. I'm safe. He has stopped the enemy here. That's right. And and he's going to use that enemy numerous times. Just like he used Pharaoh, just like he used his other people to accomplish. You know, he used Satan in Job's life. That's right. Allowed Satan to go and and yet Job was came through on the other side rewarded for what he had done. Because he believed in God. He loved him. Well, and I think, that's, I think that's really the struggle when we come to these texts. You know, the other day we were talking about the coronavirus. And in fact, we were just before we started, we were just talking about that mm-hmm. a little bit. And uh, the reality is, as, as maybe it's, it's just as Americans we struggle with this. Maybe it's a cultural aspect. I'm not sure. But we, we, try, we try to armchair quarterback stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, we're sitting, we're sitting, and for those who don't understand the metaphor, you know, we're, we're sitting in the armchair watching the football game trying to tell the quarterback, hey, you need to do this, you need to do that, right? And that's armchair quarterback. And we try to armchair quarterback God. We look at this text in in Exodus chapter uh, 17, uh, 17, yes, Mm -hmm. Uh, Exodus chapter 17, and he says, I'm going to blot out the Amalekites, and we want to go, whoa, slow (laughs) down, God. Like, whoa, dude, let's let's tone this down a little bit. Like, I I mean, you know, here you are, you you gave Pharaoh like 10 shots before you started, you know, killing the firstborn here, like, you know, what's with the Amalekites? What, I think we have to come to a point where we don't do that, where we trust God 
in his judgments, that we trust that God is making the best decision out of all the variables, that he understands all of the variables, all of the aspects. He understands what can be done with the people and what can't be done with the people. I mean, let's look at Pharaoh. Let's use Pharaoh as an example of this. This is another one that people kind of struggle with. Um, and I love this name because it's bringing out all of this struggle, right? Mm -hmm. But Pharaoh, a lot of people are like, well, that God hardened his heart. That's not right. He should have a choice. Well, he did have a choice. And the reality is, 10 different times, Pharaoh's heart was hardened or he hardened it himself. Mm -hmm. In fact, when Moses goes to him and performs, excuse me, performs the initial miracle, he tells him, he tells him straight out in chapter 5, hey, we're going to go. We need to go worship the Lord. And he goes, I don't know your God and I don't care. And so it's a kind of a gentle reminder right there in the chapter. Moses performs a couple of miracles for, for Pharaoh, and Pharaoh goes, yeah, I, I don't care. I'm a hardened my heart. And he hardens his own heart. The text reads out, he hardened his heart. Well, then the plagues start rolling in. And either the text basically states that he continued his heart being hardened, he continued in that direction, or he hardened it again. It isn't until the sixth plague that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And even then, the following plague, Pharaoh is back at it, hardening his own heart. Mm -hmm. So there is this dynamic, that this struggle within the text that we need to understand that says, look, God gives you a choice. When he told Cain in Genesis chapter 3, sin is crouching at your door, you must master it. Did Cain do, what did Cain decide? Mm -hmm. he did, did, do you think God knew he was going to kill Abel, though? But yeah, yet he let, Cain, he let Cain make the decision. He said, look, Cain, he didn't stop him. He just said, come on, you can, before judgment, you can, you can do this. Cain didn't, he chose not to. And so we see that again with Pharaoh. We're going to see it again with Saul, where God anoints Saul, where Samuel, God sends Samuel to anoint Saul over Israel, and he tells Saul, if you follow my ways and you follow my decrees, I will establish your line as king forever. Well, wait a minute. In Genesis chapter 50 or so, uh, Jacob was sitting there blessing Judah, saying that the scepter would never depart from Judah. Mm -hmm. And we know that the kingship is supposed to come through Judah. Even then, God was still giving people a chance. I think he knew Saul was going to sin. I think he knew Saul was going to fall. But the choice was still Saul's to make. And I think that's what we see with these Amal Amalekites. And that's the thing we need to understand. Is they're given this opportunity. Um, I've read all those scriptures out of Exodus talking about God saying, I'm going to glorify myself. Mm -hmm. You talked about Joshua chapter 2 mm -hmm. before Jericho, where uh, Rahab, the uh, prostitute, hides the two, to the two spies. And look, she was a, she was a prostitute, mm -hmm. right? She was very well aware, and she even says it herself, everyone knows what your God has done, what your Lord is doing. We are terrified. And instead of turning themselves over to this God, to this Lord, what do they do? They, they seek out the spies and try to kill them. They try yeah. to fight. Yeah. They try to defend, mm -hmm. right? They don't just say, oh, we can't stand against this. Now, a lot of people might look at that and go, well, you know, they didn't have a choice, but that's not true. Rahab had a choice and she made it and she was spared. God could have spared the entire city had they turned. And her whole family. And her whole family, that's right, and her whole family. Yeah, her whole family was spared. I want to read these other sections of scripture because we, when looking at all of this, this harshment of judgment, we have, I, I, I want to, we need to acknowledge that this judgment exists, that there comes a point where God's going to come and judge and he's going to, he's, you're going to be standing before a throne of judgment. Mm -hmm. But on the same token, look at this in Exodus chapter 12, 
when they're fleeing, when they're, when they're fly, finally leaving. In verse 38, the text will read, many other people went up with them. Mm-hmm. God didn't just bring the Israelites out no. of Egypt. He brought no. some Egyptians out of Egypt. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. again, we see in Egypt, uh, Exodus chapter 18 with Jethro in verse 10, he'll say in Exodus 18, 10, he'll say, he said, praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand uh, of the Egyptians. Now, in verse 11, now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Mm-hmm. Now I know, right? So yes, there's, there's that harsh judgment against Pharaoh, against Egypt, mm-hmm. against an oppressive nation. There's this harsh judgment. But the reality is, there's redemption on the other side. Now people know and hear it, and people are being spared. People are being brought to God, right? Uh, Joshua chapter 8. Finally, right in verse 35, there was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and children and the foreigners who lived among them. Well, why, why did foreigners go and live among them? Maybe because they wanted to serve God, mm-hmm. serve a God more, that was not just made out of stone, served a God that listened, served a God that provided mm-hmm. victory in such a powerful way. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, when we look at judgment, we have to understand that God's working and he's moving. But at the same token, we have to understand that that working and moving isn't just about cutting people off, about redeeming those that are left. Yeah, and I think think that, you know, to restate it again, what that word and what that name means, it may mean conquer, but there's a lot involved with conquering and with victory and with elevation because, you know, I I, I wrote it down here, you know, Josephus said uh, that, this, that this phrase meant the Lord is conqueror, the Lord is my refuge. That's right. Is what he, what he said. That's what Josephus said. Uh, now, I know he wasn't biblical, but he was, a, he was a, a biblical scolar and a biblical writer of the day, of the second century. So, you well, know, he, was, he was a Jew. Yes. He was a Jewish general in the second century, mm-hmm. and he became a historian, right? And he was a historian, yeah. yeah. And that's what he said that this, this name means. For them, it means the Lord yeah. is my refuge. Absolutely. And so God is saying, you know, I want you to build an altar. This is the name that you, that, that Yahweh Nisi is, the, is, is what he puts on it. Uh, it means this, that's my name. I am a conqueror, and you should take your refuge in me. And what we're talking about is all those folks... Judgment comes because they didn't. Right. Because they didn't put him, look at him as their refuge. You know, the same thing goes today. The same thing's going to go through the take. The Amalekites had plenty of chance. They don't take the chance. They don't take the opportunities that God gives them. God doesn't just go and annihilate them. He could have. He does not do that. He waits for time. And all this time, they could have made him their refuge. Rahab did. The Egyptians did. Ruth, the, Moab, Ruth does. the, the Moabites, yeah. right? She ends up yeah. doing it, and God, and God supposedly hates the Moabites. Yeah. But yet Ruth turns around and goes with Naomi up into the land. She says, mm-hmm. "Well, yeah, your God will be my God," and, you're, yep. yeah, and mm-hmm. she follows her right up into back into the land, and she's in the genealogy of Christ. And she's in the genealogy of Christ, just like Rahab. Sure. So two foreign women and their families, you know, going from Jericho and a Moabite woman. Who is an enemy, an enemy of, of God's people, and she she uh, she marries Boaz, I believe, and he's in the seed line, and you know, I mean, it 
it's a you know the 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 idea of, of being able to come to God even though you're not born that way is a, is a very deeply ingrained in the Old Testament Damn. and deeply ingrained in the New Testament you know because Jesus calls all men to him That's right calls everyone to him so you know and and you know when you look at the Amalekites and you look at the uh, you know, I mean, if you you mentioned it a while ago, if you look at First Samuel, mm-hmm. uh, First Samuel chapter chapter fifteen, I believe, chapter twelve. You know, we'll, I want I want us to look at that. So this uh, is this is where this is where uh, where where tell me what's where, the context? Where Samuel goes to Saul and he says, chapter fifteen, I got you something to do. This is what I want you to do. I want you to go to the Amalekites mm-hmm. and I want you to kill them all. Don't leave anybody. That's 1 Samuel 15, yes. uh, two, mm-hmm. verses 2 through 3. Yeah, and, and he said, I want you to kill them all. That's right. And, and I've got a note here on mine, back to Exodus 17, verse 14. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's what, my note here that I've written in here. Right. Because, because it's, you know, this is years later, right? Many, this yeah. is, they've asked for a king. Now, Saul's gone. Uh, I mean, uh, Moses is gone. Uh, they have... They have conquered the much of the, the promised land. Here's Saul, their first king. They have to be like everybody else. They have to have a king. So God says, okay, fine, I'll give you one. And have Saul. That's right. He's a, he's, a, he's a beautiful man. He stands head and shoulders above it. You know, he's an Adonis-looking guy. Man, that's the guy we'll pick. I'm not going to pick the runt. You know, I'm not going to pick, you're not going to pick Gideon. He's the runt. You know, or David. Or David. So, and he says, here, I want you to, and, and so Saul goes, and he doesn't do what he's told. He doesn't do what he's told. They don't even not annihilate them here. Samuel kills Agag the king, all right, because Saul brings him back. And when Saul comes back, he says, he says, Saul says, God did it, man. I did everything I was told to do, man. I'm, 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 man, did everything. And he said, really? What's this bleeding of sheep and lowing of cattle I hear? That's right. That's well, right. I don't, I don't understand. What's all this I hear? And he said, well, I kept the best stuff to give to God. Supposedly. That's not what you were told. That's right. Yeah. And he said, and so he said, what's this? Here's Agag the king. And, and if, you go, if you go into the book of Esther and look at Esther chapter 3, if you know that story, the story of the Israelites in bondage, Esther becomes queen, all right? And, and here, is, here is a man named Haman who is a Agite. He is from the sea line of Agag who was an Amalekite. And he has the potential and the opportunity and almost pulls it off to destroy the nation of Israel because Saul did not do what he was told. Right. And, and you know, so, you know, God finally destroys them. First Chronicles chapter 4 says some of the Simeonites went and utterly destroyed them all. Killed well, them all. And they even raided and uh, pillaged in the days of David, too. Yes. After Saul. Yep. They took... Uh, Prisoner, his, his, some of his wives prisoner. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, it was, it was constant warfare. These people yeah. were constantly in Judges. Uh, this was before Saul or David, but in, in, even in Judges, it notes that the Moabites teamed up with the Ammonites and the yep. Amalekites uh-huh. and invaded Israel and, made, and invaded Canaan and camped on their crops and wouldn't let them grow any food. I mean, they were constantly, this people group specifically, was constantly raising their hand against God, against that throne. And the thing that we need to understand is whether it's in Genesis chapter 6 but with the flood, whether it's the Amalekites here, or whether it's his own people in Israel before Assyria 
and Judah before Babylon. There comes a point where the bill comes due. Yes. Now, I want to read this out of Proverbs chapter 1. Before you get that. Go ahead. Go ahead. He said, go back to this text, Exodus chapter 17, all right? And he says, and, and he, tell, he says, make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And we're talking about generations later. That's right. Before it happens. That's right. You know, if God says he's coming back, he's coming back. I don't know when. You don't know when. Nobody knows when. But he's coming back. And judgment and victory are coming with him. That's right. Yahweh Nisi Absolutely. is coming back. In Proverbs chapter 1, we, we are introduced to this motive of wisdom. Okay? Mm-hmm. And um, it says here in, in verse 28, Then they will call to me, this is speaking about, about wisdom, right? Wisdom, the idea through most of this section is that wisdom has been calling in the streets, and people have been ignoring wisdom. And in verse 28, Then they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me. Since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord, since they would not accept my advice and spurned my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. That, in in my mind, just kind of sums up the Old Testament picture and our picture of Mm -hmm. Yahweh Nisi. Mm -hmm. There's this really harsh aspect of it. When it's judgment time, it's judgment. Mm -hmm. Thank God we look at a, at a throne, not of judgment, but of mercy. Yes. I think that's, yeah. it, it's, it's so huge, but we need to understand, yes, we serve a God of second chances, but there comes a point where you've ignored him and he's done. Mm-hmm. And that's what we see. That's the picture we see with the Amalekites and here in Exodus 17. That's the picture that we see in Genesis chapter 6 when he floods the world. That's the picture we see in, uh, at the end here with uh, Assyria and Israel, when Assyria rides over them in second, I think it's in Second Kings. It ends in Second Kings, and again with Judah before Babylon, mm-hmm. his own people, Israel and Judah, his own people. There comes a time where they do not listen, and they're done, and, and God is done with them. And one of the things, you know, I've heard, and we talked about this a while ago. I've heard people say, "Well, this coronavirus thing is a, is a, is you know is coming that is the end coming." You know, Jesus was very clear. You will not know the day or the hour. You know, this is a problem that we're facing. And we talked about it a while ago. If judgment's coming, I am so grateful that the throne, I mean, the throne that I'm going to get to stand at or that I hope that I'm going to stand at is going to have grace written on it, not judgment. That's right. Because I am dealing with Yahweh Nisi. Right. Because he doesn't just bring judgment. He just doesn't bring, you know, conqueror. He brings redemption with him. Well, and that's, and that's his judgment and conquering. His judgment is harsh for those who would oppose him, mm-hmm. who hear his, his, his gospel, who hear his news and say, I'm not interested, I'm done, I don't care. Who have the attitude of Pharaoh who say, I don't know your God and I don't care to know your God. Yeah. Right? And then there's the other aspect of it, which is the Israelites who are groaning out, who have been oppressed by this oppressor and God's mm-hmm. Yahweh Nisi there is their victory. They're, if, they're them becoming victorious and if it and, and leading them that and way. if you if this sounds familiar it's because we hear people all the time in our culture today i know about your god i hear what you're saying i right. don't care 
They may not say that, but their lifestyle screams that. I don't care. Even through all of this, there's going to be some that are going to say, you know, I really don't care what your God can do. I, you know, and if your God is, is that unkind to do this, then, you know, I can tell you what I think of your God. Well, don't you think the Amalekites and the people that during the flood, they were saying the same, Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, I mean, I Lot, mean, Lot would wait in the street, wait, wait at the city gate and try to help anybody who came along and said, stay in my house. Don't stay in the yeah. city square. It's not safe. Yeah. And the people there didn't care. Yeah. And there came a time for them that the bill was due. And, and you know, and, and that's when he tells him, build an altar. Yahweh Nisi. God is my banner. God is my conqueror. God, he is the one that conquers for me. God is my refuge. Right. That's what it means. That, you know, and we, can, we, we need to say it over and over and over. That's what this means. That's what that, that word means. It means God is my conqueror. God is, and not that he conquered me, but he conquers my enemies. He, he's there for judgment against my enemies, against those who will, not, who will not stand up and say, I believe, please help my unbelief. Those folks at some point... Well, There's so and, much mercy there, The right. church in Thessalonica is getting pounded from, from their own people, from the Jews around them. And in, chap, in the second letter, chapter 1, he says, don't worry, I got this. One day, one day, G is going to come back in flaming fire with his powerful angels, and he's going to take vengeance on those that do not know God and those that have not obeyed the gospel. That's right. Yahweh Nisi's coming back. That's right. He's coming back, he and he's going to bring judgment, conquer, and refuge at the same time. That's right. And That's right. and I'm I'm tickled to death. I'm, you know, I, I'm. But while he, while while we're waiting, you know, and of course we got a lot more to talk about. We're not. Oh, yes. We're not through by any length. No. But but uh, there's a whole lot more to talk about on this subject. But you know, it's uh, uh, there's so many people out there that that are looking for uh, looking for answers. Mm-hmm. And and we're going to we're going to have we have we're going to have the opportunity, Cole, and and church. I'm telling you, we're going to have the opportunity. That's right. You know, I'm talking right at the camera. We're going to have the opportunity to present this God that you're learning the names of, Yahweh Jira, Yahweh Rapha, Yahweh Nisi. You know, one means provider, one means healer. This one means conqueror and refuge place. We're going to be able to present that God, not with those names, but present them to them through our own life. Well, we're learning these aspects of who our God is. Mm-hmm. And the reality is our God is, you know, John describes him as light. And I've talked about this before. Well, light is only light. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, he, it's to the extreme, right? I mean, light isn't like halfway light. It's not mm-hmm. like a blend of light mm-hmm. and dark. Mm-hmm. It's fully light and is 100% only light. And that's what God is. He's 100% to the extreme mm-hmm. All of these things. He is our healer, right? He is our provider. Mm-hmm. He's also our conqueror. And with the conquer, to conquer, you have to have someone to conquer. Or now here, Or something. Now here in this text, we see that the enemies of God's people are the Amalekites and the Egyptians. We've looked real heavily at those two. And there are others. There are others. All in the land in Canaan, when, in the book of Joshua, they'll go and they'll fight those people as well. But the reality is, there's an ultimate enemy that we face yes. and god's going to conquer that one too and we're going to talk about that we're going to talk about that next week i think for right now 
We've really looked at it from an Old, an Old Testament perspective. We've looked at the New Testament a little bit, but mainly from an Old Testament perspective. Mm -hmm. And so there are some things that we want to we walk away with tonight. Um, so Yahweh Nisi, there is a judgment aspect to this. And I think the first thing that we need to remember when looking at the, the things that our, our Father and our God has done is we don't need to try to sit on his throne. It's his throne. He is the ultimate judge. He is the perfect judge. He doesn't make mistakes. He knows where people are. He knows when it's time to cut them off, and he knows when it's time to feed and water them. He mm -hmm. knows. He knows the difference, and we have to trust in him that he's going to handle that. I think when we come out of this text, we struggle a lot with that decision. And I think it's good that we struggle with that decision. For those of us who do, I know some people look at this and go, he got him, you know? Yeah, he he got smoked him, him right? Smoked him, yeah. Um, fair enough, fair enough. But there are those who are going to struggle, and I think that's okay. I'm not trying to say one's better than the other. I personally struggle with this text. I read this, and I'm like, wow. Come on, God, a little bit more patience. Mm -hmm. I want God to be merciful. And we, I have to trust that God is going to be merciful when it is appropriate, and he's going to judge when it's when appropriate. That's, appropriate. that's what it means to, for him to sit on his throne. Yeah. So first, let God sit on his throne. I think the second thing we need to do is remember that God is righteous, mm -hmm. even in his judgment. Mm -hmm. We may look at that and go, I don't think it was time for that. Not our time to think that. Let God be God. Let, he is righteous. We need to trust him. That was the whole issue in Exodus was that the people struggled to trust him and they finally got up to that promised land. We talked about that time when it's done and they were done, right? 600,000 of them said, no, we can't do this. And God yeah. said, you've had plenty of time. You're done. The third thing we need to remember is his throne is not is, uh, one of judgment, but also mercy. It goes hand in hand. Rahab turned and she said, I want, I'm, I want to throw in my lot with you. Ruth did the same thing. And they were both in the lineage of Christ. God used them powerfully. God desires everyone. And, for, and I think, I think okay. that one we'll talk about next way week. more next week. Oh, yeah. You know, about the mercy part of this Yahweh Nisi. Yeah. So we will. It's always a challenge. People, I think oftentimes in our, in our current culture, we talk a lot about his mercy and his love. Not so much of his judgment. But they go hand well, we in hand. We did tonight. We talked a lot. We, we did really, tonight. We beat it up tonight. <laughs> we did we? tonight. They, there was a, there's a lot there. Mm -hmm. And I, I think we have to look at that to really get a pre... What, what do I need mercy for? Mm -hmm. Think about it. What do I need mercy mm -hmm. for if there's no judgment? Mm -hmm. We need to look at the judgment sometimes. Yeah. Um, finally, our actions matter. Don't dig in your heels before his throne. I think that's the biggest thing. The lie that we like to believe is that it doesn't matter what I do. And God will forgive me, right? And now that last part, that second part isn't a lie. We need to understand there's a time where it's up. Well, I think on that last note, uh, there's, a, there's a, lot, a lot of people in the Old Testament dug in their heels. That's right. I'm not going to listen. I don't care. That's right. I don't care who your God is. And sadly, there are those today that are doing the same thing. Right. I think that most of our audience oh, listen no. to us. Yeah. That's not where they are. Not at all. They, no. they know God. They love him. They... Uh, they, but they know people who are like this. Oh, I, I'm, con I'm convinced that for the body, this isn't a warning. No. But we need to understand the aspect, and I think it needs to drive us towards looking for those open doors, looking and knowing and recognizing those people who've dug in their heels yes. and coming back and saying, okay, I need to be praying for them constantly. Yes. And that's, that's the biggest thing is our actions matter today. Your neighbor's actions matter today. Your actions matter today. We need to be aware of kind of where those that God has put in our sphere are at. We need to be praying for them. 
Absolutely. And we need to be encouraging them. Don't, don't, be, don't dig in your heels. Give, give him a chance. Listen to him. It's all about trusting him. That's right. Absolutely. We have to trust him. He's got many facets. These names are telling us that. There are many facets <laughs> yes. to God. And, and the only thing that I can literally do myself is just have faith and trust him. That's right. Because I'm not going to have all the answers. I don't have all the answers today. I don't have any answers of what's going on around us today. I have no answers. And, we, and, and we'll talk about that. I think we'll hit that next time. Yeah, we, we, didn't, we didn't really talk too much about the coronavirus and stuff going on today. Um, but we'll, I think we're going to hit that a little bit next time. Very yeah. short, very short. Yeah. But um, church, we're going to go ahead. I, I think it's, it's gone on long enough. Yep. I think we get it. Um, next week, we're going to continue. We're going to do part two. We're going to be coming out of Isaiah and getting into Romans a little bit. We're going to look at that second aspect of Nisi, the conqueror, mm-hmm. the one who provides refuge and victory. And, and I'm so excited to get there. Oh, yeah, it's going to be fun. It's, it's, going, to be it's fun. going to be good. And, right. we're, and we'll, we'll kind of piggyback it off of this. We'll, we'll, we'll connect it back to this. So, you know, but, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a fun one. Yeah, right. it will. All right. Let's pray. Close out. All right. Father in heaven, thank you so much for, uh, for being the God that you are. We've looked at three different names over the last few weeks. Uh, we've looked at you as a healer, as a provider, and now as a conqueror and a refuge for us. Father, we, we stand in awe of you and of your power and of your majesty. But Father, we, this, there's some responsibility. Knowing these things brings about some responsibility for us. What do we do with what we know? We've seen tonight what people just didn't want to know, didn't care to know, and what happened because they didn't do anything. Or did the wrong thing. Father, help us to, to live with, with every fiber of our being striving uh, to be the very best we can be. To know these things and to put them into practice so that other folks can learn about you as well. Bless us, Father, as we, as we uh, learn these things and, and strive to grow our faith. And it's in Jesus' precious holy name we pray. Amen.